Well, can I add my welcome to Benga's? Um, I'm Morris, I'm one of the leaders here at Christchurch. Thank you so much for tuning in. As a church, we really love gathering together and when we do that, it's people from all walks of life and at all stages in their faith journey. But we hope that this gives an opportunity for people who don't usually come along to have a look at what we do. So if that's you, you're super welcome. I'll just give you a couple of minutes um, in case you have children, you need to um, give something to eat or play with. Um, or you haven't got a Bible, do you have a hunt around for one or look one up on your phone? It'd be important to follow along. Or maybe you just need to go to the loo or get another coffee or something. While you're doing all of those things, let me just explain what we're about here at Christchurch at the moment. We are looking through um, Mark's Gospel, uh, which is one of the biographies of Jesus' life. And we are um, called the series Recaptivated because what we're hoping is, if you're a Christian, you will find again how amazing you think Jesus is. And if you are just looking in, you're wondering about what we believe, you'll begin to understand a bit about why we think Jesus is the most compelling person who's ever lived. So, hope you've got everything you need. And I'm going to start by talking about someone who's become a regular feature of our house in lockdown, and that is Joe Wicks. I can't decide whether Joe Wicks is just a frustrated teacher who wants to help the nation, or a monster with unfeasibly strong abs who wants to torture the nation. I can't decide which it is. He does this game, uh, by the way, if you don't know who Joe Wicks is, he runs a family PE lessons every day for people who are homeschooling. And he does this game where heads or tails, if he gets heads, it's an easy exercise. Tails, it's a hard exercise. Uh, he gets tails a lot. I'm not sure, and he never shows us the result of his heads or tails uh, throwing the coin. And it matters for his workout what you think of him. So if you think um, uh, that Joe Wicks is just out to torture us, like, let's be honest, most PE teachers, then you're not going to listen to him when he says, give it your all, push to the end. You're not going to do that for someone you don't trust. But if you think Joe Wicks is really here to save our health and uh, here for us to help us, then you might just push to the end and give it your all because you trust him. Now, something a bit like that is going on in this section of Mark's Gospel that we're reading at the moment. This section is about Jesus coming into conflict with the rulers of his day. He's headed straight into the place that was the centre of their power, their temple, and he's vandalised it. And then he's told this incredibly insulting story where he said to them, listen, you are just tenants, a temporary feature of a world made by God, while I, Jesus, am the beloved son, the owner of the God, the owner uh, who comes to the world that God has made. You're tenants, I'm the owner. He's claimed that he has authority to rule over them and us, and they, like us, are infuriated by this claim because it means they can't just make their own choices. But if he's right about that, if God made this world, we don't get to do what we want. They're right to clock that, and so they've been grilling him about his views on important matters, taxes, marriage, religious practice. But at this point we're reading today, there's a pause from the questions. Jesus has shut them up. 
He has edged them out of the place where they hold sway, and now he holds the floor for what he wants to talk about. Right in the centre of their power, he is setting the agenda. He is pushing them and pushing us, pushing us actually, closer and closer to thinking it through. Do I accept his authority? Is his claim on my life one that I will listen to? The things he says are hard that we should give him or all we're going to see today. But what he's pushing us to is say, does he have the right to be listened to? And there's no not choosing. Just as the case if I say, well, it's not that I'm ignoring Joe Wicks, I'm just sitting on the bench and having a rest. I'm not not doing, rejecting him. By not responding to his call, you are ignoring him. There is one of two ways to go. And he is pushing us. Are you going to insist on your way? Or are you going to accept that he's in charge? And I want to say, as a Christian, I think you'll be convinced, not just by his moral rightness. So it's right, if he is God's son, we have to listen to him and we are just tenants on this world. But because the stuff he says will win you to think he wants what's best for us. That's what we're going to see today, I think, that trusting him is hard, but it's good. Here's the first thing we see today that Jesus talks about, the Messiah's credentials. I remember my lovely youth group leader, much like the lovely youth group leaders that uh, the teenagers have here at Christchurch, seeing that I was a bit on the periphery of things, taking me aside and saying, you know, we love you, be yourself, but not everybody is interested in your musical theatre CD collection and you might be able to join in a bit more if you're ready to talk about the things other people want to talk about, don't just go off on what you're interested in. In the, with the greatest possible respect, it looks a little bit like someone could have had that chat with Jesus here because he gets the floor at last and then suddenly just starts talking about some obscure passage of the Bible, Psalm 110. You might be wondering, by the way, why we look obscure passages of the Bible here on our YouTube channel and that's because we tend to think Good enough for son of the vineyard owner, good enough for me. But why, when Jesus gets the floor, does he start bringing up this bit of the Bible? Well, he says, here's an interesting question. The teachers of the law, that's the people whose power he is threatening, they say there's someone coming whose authority they will respect. They call him the Messiah. The qualification they're looking for, for the person to be the Messiah, is that he needs to be a son of David. He needs to be in David's line and family. Now, David had been their best king they'd ever had so far. And they basically are like, if we could just have someone a bit like David, we'd be better. I think lots of us have that feeling. I've heard lots of people comment on our national crisis at the moment saying, if only we were led a bit like this person, someone, someone a bit like this person in the past, then things would be better than there are. If this Messiah could just be a patch on David in David's family, he would lift the rule of our oppressors against us. That's what they thought. Jesus says, here's something interesting though, when David wrote about the Messiah coming to sort things out, and he did that under the power of God himself, the Holy Spirit, writing about it in the Bible, David himself called the Messiah Lord. 
So he says to the teachers of the law, you're obsessed with looking for David's son. What you really need to be looking for is someone who is David's Lord. And if you read Psalm 110, Jesus is talking about quite a terrifying leader who will set up his rule from Zion, which incidentally where is, is where Jesus is standing at this precise moment, and will crush and take down his enemies completely. The Messiah will be far greater and far more frightening than David. And there is something very strange about that for these people, because as far as they were concerned, the king in David's line is the absolute top of the tree. So the only person who's David's Lord is God himself. So God is speaking uh, through David and saying, David says the Messiah is his Lord, a greater king in David's line who also is God himself. Could it be, guys, that the person you're waiting for is the son of the vineyard owner, is God himself, his son, come to visit you? Do you realise your own system of belief says the person you're waiting for is me? There, planted in everything you've always believed, is the evidence that what I'm saying is true. And therefore you should be careful because that king, that God king, is going to crush his enemies. So who could it be, this king in David's line, who is also God? Hmm, who could it be? And therefore, who could his enemies be that he's going to crush? So, when Jesus gets the floor to set the agenda to talk about whatever he likes, he talks about himself. Now, we don't usually like people like that who just talk about themselves. But Jesus gets, and we need to get, it is the key question. If you are here today looking in at all of this, unsure of what you think, this is the key question for you to get to the bottom of. Is Jesus God's divine son coming to earth to call on all people to live under his rule and to crush his enemies? Is that Jesus? Now, this is an old argument, but it's worth repeating here. Something that some people do with Jesus is they sort of pick through things he says and says, well, that's a nice bit of moral, moral, moral advice. And Jesus says it. So, you know, love your neighbour. Jesus says that. That's a nice piece of moral advice and we should do it because, you know, Jesus, great moral teacher, he said it. The thing is, when Jesus is given the floor, he doesn't give moral advice. He claims to be a king greater than David, the eternal son of God, come to crush his enemies. That's his agenda that he's setting. And of course, if that's true, we all must obey him. We can't selectively decide to quote him when he says something I already agree with. That doesn't fit with who he says he is. Now, Christians do this as well. They do selective listening to Jesus. We're just as bad. Jesus says some very difficult things. He said them in this bit of the Bible. He said difficult things to us about our money and about divorce and about service and about all sorts of things. But we switch him off when he says things we don't agree with. And Jesus, when he gets the agenda, saying, no, 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 no. If I'm the greater king than David, who is David's Lord, you can't switch me off. The key question is not, would I like to pray for and share my faith so people come to know God? No, Jesus says we have to do that. And if he says something, you've got to do it. The question is not, do I want to do that? The question is, who is Jesus to tell me to do this?
Similarly, the other things he's talked about, I don't get to think, would I like to forgive my enemies? Jesus says, I have to forgive my enemies. So the real question is not, would I like to do that? It's who is Jesus? Is Jesus the ruler of Psalm 110? Is he the God who made everything amongst us? Is he better than any other ruler? That's the question. I remember uh, one of my staff colleagues having a discussion once with someone saying, well, I do, I came to church once, I am a Christian, I came to church a few times, but I didn't feel like people were super friendly to me there, which is a bad thing. We need to improve if that's true. But my colleague gently said to that person, whether someone is nice to you or not doesn't make a difference to whether Jesus came back from the dead. <laughs> the truth about him is what we respond to. That's the agenda that he sets when he's given the floor. Note, the people are delighted with this teaching. While to us it might sound a bit sort of harsh, you have to listen to Jesus, that's not how they felt. They're delighted because they get this, and this is the next thing we're gonna see, that Jesus will use this great power to be on their side. This is the second thing we see, the Messiah drops bombs. Psalm 110 said this king would crush his enemies. Jesus certainly seems ready to do that. He's been circling the teachers of the law, saying to everybody, they're mistaken, the teachers of the law. Now he turns on them. In their own presence, in the centre of their power, he says, watch out for these wicked people. Beware of them. People like this, he says, will be severely punished. As I've gone on the journey of being recaptivated by Jesus in Mark's Gospel this time, this is the thing that's jumped out at me most. Jesus is rarely angry. But when he is, he is very angry with people like this. Who are the people like this? People who use their religious power to elevate themselves above other people. Did you see what he says about them, Jesus? They like to walk about in flowing robes. They like to wear stuff that makes them look like they're different and special. They have an extensive social media profile extolling their holiness. They seek for other people to think they're great because we'll get influenced that way. They want to sit in the place that's most important. They want to feel like they're being honored more than anyone else. And the truth is that in faith communities, as Jesus says, if someone's pushing to be at the front, someone else is getting crushed. If you want to sit in the most important seat in a faith community, somebody else is paying for that important seat. Often it's a poor person, much poorer than you. And they're doing it because you, the religious leader, you've taught them that's the way they can honour God. So someone's getting devoured while you manoeuvre yourself into the most important place. And of course, you have to look like you're still worth following if you're going to sit in the best seat. So you pray lengthy prayers in order to look good. So if you're a Christian leader, pushing to be recognised as important, well, someone's getting crushed by that. And there's going to be religious fakery going on so you can keep your position of importance. And Jesus' anger is saved up for people like that. People who crush others through fake religion. Oppression through religion is the thing this frightening king will crush. 
Now, I've talked about Christians and that are selective listening to Jesus. Lots of Christians over the ages have really, it seems to me, failed to listen to this even at the most shallow level. So lots of Christian organisations, people begin their journey in Christian leadership by dressing up in funny robes and going to an important civic building and putting them to sit in an important place. And lots of Christian organisations run that the higher you get in it, the more your robes flow and the more important place you get to sit. And at a much more important level, deeper level than that, there are people in our own city who've been devoured by religious leaders whose defensive uniform of flowing robes has allowed them to devour the most vulnerable of all. And if that's you or you know someone in that position, I hope it's some comfort to know that Jesus saves his anger for that. When he is lifted above, up above all other kings and rulers that have ever been, he will use his power to crush that. Now, in an attempt to cut off the temptation to abuse spiritual power, in our tradition we don't have flowing robes, we simply have excellent shirts. We don't make a huge fuss when someone is appointed to be a leader and we try and have systems of accountability to make all of that harder to happen. But of course, you can have none of the outside signs of it and still have just the same attitude. A system without robes and seats might help, but the only thing, there's only one thing really that keeps me or you from abusing power we've been given to serve others to make ourselves look good. Our hearts are the same as the teachers of the law. Let's not be naive about that. The only thing that will keep us from that is knowing who Jesus is. Is Jesus the Lord, even of David? Is Jesus against me using whatever power I have to get myself respect and honour and compliments? Is Jesus the eternal son of God saying... Listen, there is no place in my kingdom for people who try and get the best seat. Is Jesus right when he says people like that will be punished? Can Jesus say that? That's the question. Listen, people who live for the approval of others and thus end up devouring people who are weak, they will be punished. If you're like that, you are not in Jesus' kingdom. And leaders who do that, with the sort of face of religion on it, they will not get away with it. But the urge to have the best seat, to be honoured as we walk around, to have our efforts recognised by our status increasing, all Christians need to be extremely wary of that. Just to be clear, if you sometimes feel like that, that's not that you will be punished. Our hearts are all like that a bit. But we all need to be careful of that because if that is allowed to grow, we become the type of people who don't fit where Jesus is in charge. One thing I think all of us get at the moment is something that looks small, could even be invisible. If it's just allowed to grow and run rampant, it will destroy everything. We're living through that very thing. Well, the virus of self-regard is the same, particularly if self-regard is being, you're using religion as a cover to really get regard for yourself. It will grow up and destroy everything. So if you do a little bit of serving, 
but it's really to get respect from other people. And you're bitter, you find yourself bitter that you aren't respected. That will grow, that will mushroom exponentially and twist you into a different sort of person. It's not that every incidence of that will be punished, but letting that grow could turn you into someone who ends up outside the rule of this king, who ends up his enemy. Now, we do a lot of, in our church life, trying to coax and call people into serving others because Jesus says it's the mark of his kingdom when people do that. But if you do that, but you're constantly irritated that people aren't doing it your way or paying attention to you or thanking you enough, you need to be careful. Are you becoming this type of person that Jesus is against? Once I was doing a training for some small group leaders together and um, I was encouraging them to look at a bit of the Bible that says Christian leadership is about service and saying, how do you, do you put that into practice? And I let, got people to talk about it. And then I said, what's your feedback from that classic sort of, you know, interactive learning style? And um, someone said, oh, well, in our group, we had a chat about really, it's fine to serve, but people really need to learn to be more encouraging to us. Now, listen, people should be encouraging. That's morally correct. But if your discussion, your thoughts about whatever spiritual responsibility you have, whether that's as a husband or a Sunday school group leader or a coffee team member or just a part of the church to encourage others, if your main thought about that is no one is giving me enough encouragement and attention, that is problematic. That is something to be cut off and repented of before it starts to twist you soon into one of these type of people looking for the best seats and crushing other people. Let me tell you, where someone is constantly seeking respect for themselves, someone else is always crushed and hurt. Where someone says, I'm not getting enough respect for this thing I'm doing, so I'm not doing it, someone else is always picking up the pieces, usually someone poorer than you. And I want you to know if you're tuning in here as a regular at Christchurch, you can hold me and the other leaders of the church to that. If we have a leadership culture of people seeking regard for themselves, you tell us. Because Jesus is against it. The Messiah drops bombs. Thirdly, the Messiah's heroes. The king who rules the world, we've seen what he's against, but what is he for? Well, another scene, right in the middle of the temple, he sees rich people putting in large amounts of money to the temple treasury, and then a poor widow comes in and drops in just two coins. This insignificant, socially excluded person in that culture, who doesn't financially give much, two coins makes little difference to what the temple treasury can do at all. But... Because she put in everything she had, Jesus notices. That is honoured by him. In fact, I think what he's saying is, in his kingdom he's doing, while the religious oppressors will be crushed, the weak and insignificant people who want to honour him, he will turn their gifts, small as they are, into something amazing. In the place where this Messiah rules, greater than David, where his enemies are crushed, what matters to him is this, wholehearted love. Wholehearted love, particularly from those 
who seem insignificant and like they don't have much. The religious leaders are doing what people do, jockeying to get into the place where people will recognise them. That's really stupid. Because Jesus says the person he sees is the unrecognised, unloved, not powerful person. That is who Jesus is drawn to. He is interested in the people no one else is paying attention to. You move yourself out of his field of vision by pushing your own profile higher. And he's not just making it up. As far as he's concerned, she did put more in. What those outsider insignificant people do out of love matters much more to him than all the big gestures of the rich and famous. He is God. He gets to say what matters. And he says this matters. I guess most people watching this are pretty unimportant. And I want to say, instead of pushing for more recognition to become more important, by which you will hurt others as you try and make space for yourself, accept who you are and be free from jockeying for position and know Jesus loves the widows. He loves in this book the fishermen. He loves in this book the tax geek. And what he sees is when those seemingly insignificant people give their all to him. While we've all been distracted by COVID-19, tens, possibly hundreds of Christians have been martyred in northern Nigeria by Islamic fundamentalists. That didn't even make our news. Too busy tweeting about Boris Johnson. When we get to heaven, we will have a huge culture shock because what Jesus thinks important will be honoured. And those people who never even made the British news in our very important country, those people will be honoured and cared for and praised and we will all see how great is what they did. It's the kingdom Jesus is bringing. And her giving her all, I don't think is about giving money to any particular church. This isn't a giving sermon because it sort of creates a problem. She's giving to the system that the teachers of the law are using to devour people like her. Jesus' comment on the system is coming in chapter 13 where he says, I'm going to bring that corrupt system down. But even that, what Jesus is saying is, faithful people who give all they can to God even if they live in a messed up world, he still sees, he still honours giving all they have to serve him. Most of us have no clue what it's like to give all we have to live on away because we think it's the right thing to do. But if Jesus is the one Psalm 110 talks about, it all belonged to him anyway. So we probably should sit down and think about our whole life and ask what does it mean to give all of that to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no matter how unimportant you are, he sees that and honours it. He thinks that is right. He welcomes and loves and treasures the smallest and weakest and least significant and uses their small resources to do amazing things. 
So this passage is a call to give everything to Jesus and to assure you if you do that, he won't forget or overlook it. But it's much more than that. This whole section is saying, listen, Jesus is the type of person you can give it all to. Jesus is morally the ruler of everything. But that power he gets, he uses to crush wicked oppressors and to honour and lift up weak people who don't have much but are seeking after him. Whatever you need to give to be a Christian, he, he's worth that. He calls love out of us because of what matters to him. And if you know you are weak and you're far away from God and what you have to give him seems not like much, please come to Jesus. You can do that simply by asking him to be in his kingdom with a simple prayer. As you see him in Mark, I think you'll see there's no one else we'd rather entrust our lives to. Joe Wick says, give it your all. And I'm not sure I trust Joe to want what's best for me. But Jesus says to give me your all. And I think you can trust this one who rules over everything, who hates oppression, who loves and honours the poor wholehearted outsiders. You can trust him. Give him your all.